The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in His kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. We are excited that you've joined us for this time of worship together. We pray that you and your home are healthy and well. We invite you to be a part of our gatherings in person at both of our campuses at 9 and 11 on Sundays. But we are super excited that you have joined us online. As we enter into this time of worship, let me offer a brief prayer for us. 
God, we expect and anticipate your presence as we worship together. That as we join with Christians in Houston and around the world, that you will speak to us anew and give us a, a fresh wind of who you are and what you are doing in our lives. We enter into this season of worship focused on you and you alone in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus. 
Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more.
What an incredible worship team we have, Ecclesia. So grateful for these talented women and men who are offering their gifts to us in this way. We're now going to turn our attention to our kids, our wonderful, precious children. And today's blessing for our kids has been written by a child in our own community. And this blessing comes to us from Paloma. Join her in this prayer she has written. Almighty God, bless these incredible people and children. As some of them go on a road trip or on a plane, watch over them during their vacation. For kids who aren't going on a trip, make sure they have the best rest of their summer. We thank all of the volunteers at Kids Camp for working hard. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Ecclesia, let's now continue our worship through our time of offering. Please join me in this prayer. Almighty God, you created everything in the heavens above and in the earth below. You survey all your creation and you savor its beauty and appreciate its goodness. We lift to you the best we have to offer from our time, talents, and resources. We give freely from what we have received from your hand. We give joyfully with the gratitude of a rescued people. We give generously with the excitement of children at play. We join with your mission and with your kingdom. Amen. Hi everyone. To the kids who were watching, who can tell me what happened this past week? A big hint is the t-shirt I am wearing today. Yes, Kids Camp. We were so grateful to have Kids Camp in person this year. A big thank you to our staff, volunteers, and kids. Our theme was waves, and we had a fun and engaging time while learning that when we see the ocean, we can remember that God's love for us is big, powerful, and steadfast. I think lots of adults could use that reminder too. Speaking of in-person, you are so welcome to join us at either our West Side or downtown campus for Sunday gatherings at 9 and 11 a.m. And we've recently shifted to not needing you to register. Every week, we get to welcome folks who are coming for the first time since March of 2020. And those coming for the first time ever, your face is one we'd love to see too. For information about what to expect at our Sunday gatherings, simply go to our website, ecclesiahouston.org. Well, friends, summer is upon us and so are the mosquitoes. How many of you have already gotten bitten? Yes, me too, lots of times. You know who else is getting bitten? 
our unhoused sisters and brothers. Would you consider helping us provide summer items like bug spray and sunscreen through our Amazon wish list or a donation of funds? These vulnerable folks have been so encouraged by the consistency of our care, especially during pandemic. We invite you to take part in this care by visiting ecclesiahouston.org outreach for the wish list or by giving through the Church Center app, our website, or texting your donation amount to 84321. Your gifts not only help support our local efforts, but also the ways we love and serve globally. And it sends the message that we see you, we love you, we are with you. Friends, God sees us, God loves us, and God is with us. Join me in a deep breath as we prepare to hear more about God's love for us through Pastor Sean. Hello, Ecclesia. It is great to be with you. Um, I had this incredible revelation this past weekend. Uh, my daughters were having some girls over to the house and we were getting it all ready. And I was in the kitchen just cleaning, doing all those things that you do when you're going to have 13 teenagers come over to your house. And I realized as we were cleaning the kitchen that as much as I want to be, I, I am not a good person. And I've, I've been in ministry, I've been a pastor for 25 years now. And one of the questions that keeps coming up over and over again when I sit down with people who are wanting to follow God, who love God and desire to be the people of Jesus is that they wanna know, like, am I a good person? And while I was cleaning the kitchen, realizing that I'm not a good person, I had the second revelation that I am the last person that anyone should ask if they are a good person. And I'll tell you why. Because I was, as I was cleaning the kitchen, I noticed on our refrigerator, our refrigerator, like many of yours, is just like covered with pictures and postcards and all of those things, people that we love. And I looked and saw a picture of the child, the little boy that I sponsor through World Vision. And I realized that I had missed his birthday. I didn't send a letter, I didn't send a gift, I didn't do anything for his birthday. And it's not like it was that difficult for me to do because he and I share the same birthday. Like that's the reason that I sponsored him to begin with is because I thought this would be easy to remember. We have the same birthday. And as I, while I was thinking about that, I realized that in the seven or eight years that I have sponsored him as a child, like I'm supposed to write like once a month. And I think in seven or eight years, I've written like twice ever. Like I'm, I'm horrible at it. And our support gets there on time every month. Like we read his letters. I kind of have a sense of what's going on, but man, a good person would be on top of that kind of thing. 
I've known some good people and they do incredibly good things. And so it's not actually all that surprising when you think about it, that people want to be good people, especially people who follow Jesus. It's not surprising that that question keeps coming up over and over and over again with people. Like some of you have seen the movie Saving Private Ryan. And there's that scene where Ryan, now an old man who was saved by this small group of men, some of whom died in saving him. Sorry, spoiler alert. The movie's 20 years old. You've probably seen it by now. And he's there in the cemetery visiting their graves with his wife, his children, their spouses, grandchildren, maybe even some, some great grandchildren. And he turns to his wife and he asks her, he says, please tell me I'm a good man. And what he wants is, is he wants some validation that his life, that everything that his life cost other people was actually worth it. And that's such an important question because I don't know very many people who aren't concerned about being good people to know that our lives have been a benefit and a blessing to the people around us. But as I've been reflecting on these 25 years I've spent walking alongside people in churches, it occurred to me that when many of us ask whether or not we are good people, that that question doesn't come out of nowhere. Usually, when people ask me that question, they're asking it because they're in the middle of suffering. And somewhere along the line, we came up with this equation in our minds that um, if I'm a good person, if I do the right things, if I follow all the rules, then only good things should happen to me. And that bad things happen to bad people. So we have this idea that life should be a reward system, that God is very transactional. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of people you know, maybe you're one of them, who have decided that they can't believe in a God who lets bad things happen to good people, which, which is really a great thing to know about yourself because throughout history and throughout Christian tradition, Christians have never believed in a God who didn't allow bad things to happen to good people. So if you don't believe in God because God wouldn't allow bad things to happen, well, no Christians believe in that God. But nevertheless, we have this view of God that says, if I do everything that I'm supposed to do, if I hold up my end, then the payoff for that on the other end is unlimited blessing. And you even get this in some of our language. Like you've been around some people who they were doing really well, either in their job or in their career or with their kids. Maybe they got a big promotion or were able to go on a big vacation. And you said either to yourself or, or to them, it's like, man, they must be doing something right. And see what gives us away is this belief that when things are going well, then we're doing well. But that assumes that when things go badly, then we've done something bad. And that's just not 
the witness of scripture. And maybe I was thinking about this recently because I've been doing a lot of reading around the life of one of the fathers of the faith, this biblical character named Abraham. And when you get to Hebrews 11, which Pastor Chris talked to you about last week, you get a lot about Abraham and a lot about people like Abraham. And Abraham is this towering figure who is the father of the three great monotheistic religions in the world, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. And in Hebrews 11, this is what the scriptures say about Abraham. It says, by faith, Abraham heard God's call to travel to a place he would one day receive as an inheritance. And he obeyed, not knowing where God's call would take him. By faith, he journeyed to the land of the promise as a foreigner. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, his fellow heirs to the promise, because Abraham looked ahead to a city with foundations, a city laid out and built by God. By faith, Abraham's wife, Sarah, became fertile long after menopause because she believed God would be faithful to his promise. So from this man, who was almost at death's door, God brought forth descendants, as many as the stars in the sky and as impossible to count as the sands on the shore. Like that sounds inspiring to me. And I think that's probably why it's in the Bible because the writer of Hebrews wants to inspire us. He wants us to look at Abraham and go like, oh, I can do that. I can face that. But the reality is, as romantic as it sounds, like this is a highlight reel of Abraham's life. As a matter of fact, earlier in the scriptures, when Abraham dies, the scriptures say that Abraham died a good old age and satisfied. A good old age and satisfied. Now, I don't know anybody that doesn't want that, to die at a good old age and satisfied. But if you jump from Abraham's death in Genesis at good old age and satisfied to Hebrews 11, like you miss a ton of who Abraham was because his life wasn't a highlight reel. He, he's the one that Romans said was justified by faith before any of us was credited to him as righteousness. This is a good man. But we ought to know all of the textures of his life. So Jonathan Sachs was the chief rabbi of the United Kingdom and the Commonwealth of Nations. And he's also a moral philosopher. And he writes about Abraham in his new book, Morality. And this is what Sachs says about Abraham's real life. He says, to pursue the call of God, he had to say goodbye to his land, his birthplace and his father's house and to travel to an unknown destination. Twice, famine forced him into exile where his life was in danger, promised countless children. He nonetheless remained childless until old age. Then God told him, to send away the son he had by Sarah's handmaid, Hagar. And if that trial were not heartbreaking enough, 
God then told him to sacrifice his only son with Sarah, Isaac, the one whom God had told would be his spiritual heir and bearer of the covenant into the future. Seven times promised a land. When Sarah died, Abraham owned not a single square inch of territory in which to bury her and had to entreat the Hittites to let him buy a field and a burial cave. His was a life of disappointed hopes and delayed fulfillment. He had received three promises from God, children, a land, and the assurance that he would be the father, not of one nation, but of many nations. At the age of 137, he had one unmarried son, no land, no nation. Now that's a remarkable life. This is far more inspiring because Abraham dies satisfied after living a life of disappointed hopes. And how do you die satisfied when that's been your life? I mean, I start get, getting unsatisfied um, when the traffic takes too long or when the AC is not cooling fast enough. But in the witness of scripture, the invitation is not to be a great healer or a world changer. The invitation has and will always be to simply be faithful, that that's what a good person is. And being a faithful person is not a separate thing from being a person who suffers. And Abraham's not the only one. In Hebrews 11, that same chapter, the writer launches into stories about Samson and David and Abel and Enoch and Moses and Gideon. And you know what it says about all of them? They live by faith. By faith. In a few cases, it tells you what they did, the actions that they took, what they endured. But it keeps coming back like a chorus in a song by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And the simple message is that if you want to live the life of the ages, you want to die at an old age and satisfied, you want to be a hero of the faith, you live by faith. And faith is one of those things that's terribly misunderstood in our contemporary culture because outside of the church, faith is just what Christians and non-thinking people believe that they don't have any facts for. And inside the church, people don't even know what we have faith in. Lots of times they just want to like have more faith. Well, faith in what? Like faith in faith? We get all confused around faith. And to get it right, to get our arms around it, there are three words that we really have to know. And two of them aren't faith, but we confuse with faith. The first is belief. We think belief is faith, but belief is just to act as if something is true. Like, like when you sat down on your chair, or your couch, wherever it is that you're watching this from, like you had belief that that chair would support your weight when you sat down in it. Like when you get in your car and it starts, you're not surprised because you believe cars start. But those times that you get in your car and it doesn't start, there's something wrong with it. It doesn't cause a faith crisis because you also believe that sometimes cars don't start, but you just have to act as if something's true. Like you don't actually think this is the only time this has ever happened. I don't believe in transportation because your car doesn't start. 
You know how to understand how to hold those beliefs. As a matter of fact, we don't even really know what we believe until it gets tested. But we also confuse faith with knowledge. And knowledge is just speaking about something accurately on the basis of adequate evidence or reason. To speak accurately based on evidence or reason and not complete evidence or complete reason because no matter what anyone tells you, no one in the world has complete evidence or complete reason for anything. So for instance, I fly a lot when we're not in quarantine. And why do I do that when I know that planes crash? Well, I also know that 0.027 per every million planes crash, which means that the one I'm on probably won't crash. Like I am basing that decision on my knowledge. I'm also basing that decision on the knowledge that the engineers who built the plane had knowledge about how to build a plane and the people who fly a plane have knowledge about when to fly a plane and the great hope that the flight attendants on the plane have knowledge about when I'll be thirsty. But knowledge isn't faith. As a matter of fact, so many of us grew up in churches in context where the data of the scriptures, like we confuse that with faith and you just had to know a bunch of stuff. And then we realized when we got out into life and the realities of life come crashing around us, and the complexities of life come up, that just knowing the scriptures isn't enough. Knowledge isn't faith, except for personal knowledge. When we know something intimately about someone and there is a way that we can have personal knowledge about God, that faith is a wholly different thing. Faith is depending on something. And how do you know when you are depending on something? We're depending on something when we say things like, if this doesn't work out, I don't know what I'm gonna do. As a matter of fact, when you read your Bible, when you open your Bible and you read the word faith, the better translation for that word is trust. And Ecclesia, here's what I want you to know. To reach the end of your life and be satisfied with how you spent your time, your resources, it does not mean that you will not have suffered. It will mean that you trusted Jesus even though you suffered. Hebrews says it like this. So since we stand surrounded by all those who have gone before us, an enormous cloud of witnesses. Let us drop every extra weight, every sin that clings to us and slackens our pace and let us run with endurance the long race set before us. Now stay focused on Jesus who designed and perfected our faith. He endured the cross and ignored the shame that of, of that death because he focused on the joy that was set before him. And now, he is seated beside God on the throne, a place of honor. The word of the Lord to all of us is regardless of where you are, what you're experiencing, the joys, the upset, the anxieties, the stress, the beauty, to reach the end of your life satisfied 
as Pastor Chris told you last week, is to stay focused on Jesus. The goal of life is not not to suffer. The goal of life is to stay focused. And we don't have faith just to have faith. We don't have faith in faith. We have faith in Jesus. Church, let me pray for you. God, help us to appropriately place our faith, regardless of how little or how much we have, that we put it in the right place. And that's in you, even in the seasons of suffering. So we ask for you to join us in all the various places we are in our journey, trusting you with everything that we have. And we ask in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. In response to all that Jesus has done for us, each week we celebrate the Eucharist together, the Thanksgiving communion. And so as we enter into that time, we remind ourselves that this is the body broken for us. And this is the blood shed. And so would you join me in this confession? I will lead a celebrant if you will respond as the people. You have made us to be free, but we crave the cheap comforts of our chains. You have made us to serve others, but we have eyes only for ourselves. You have made us to love, but we are inflamed with lust. You provide that we may be generous, but we greedily hoard as if our well will run dry. You forgive time and again, but we hold fast to the sins of others. You offer light for our path, but we insist on making our own way. You are the God who saves. Lord, save us from ourselves and your great mercy restore and heal us and grant us your peace. Amen. God, for this body broken and for this blood shed, we give you thanks for the remission of our sins that you have joined us and forgiven us. And we give all praise to you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. is my shepherd I won't be wanting I won't be wanting He makes me rest in fields of green with quiet streams And even though I walk through of death and dying I will not fear cause you are with me you're always with me your shepherd's staff 
In the presence of enemies Surely goodness will follow me Will follow me In the house of God forever In the house of God forever God is my shepherd, I won't be wanting, I won't be wanting. He makes me rest in fields of green with quiet streams. And even though I walk through death and dying I will not fear cause you're with me you're always with me your shepherd's staff comforts me you are my feast in the presence of enemies is surely goodness will follow me will follow me yeah. your shepherd's staff comforts me you are my feast in the presence of enemies is surely Follow me in the house of God forever. In the house of God forever. In the house of God forever. sisters, brothers, family. We are so encouraged that you have joined us for this worship gathering. Our benediction today comes from this book, To Bless the Space Between Us by John O'Donohue. Join me now as I pray this blessing over you. May you recognize in your life the presence, power, and light of your soul. May you realize that you are never alone, that your soul in its brightness and belonging connects you intimately with the rhythm of the universe. May you have respect for your individuality and difference. May you realize that the shape of your soul is unique, that you have a special destiny here, that behind the facade of your life, there is something beautiful and eternal happening. 
May you learn to see yourself with the same delight, pride, and expectation with which God sees you in every moment. Ecclesia, dwell in peace. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.